the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. This is Seth Liebson. Happy Monday. Hope you all had a great weekend. October 16th, 2023. Uh, David Dahl, good to see you. Mr. Bill, good to see you. Miss Terry, great to see you. And a special welcome to an in-studio guest here uh, from Washington, D.C., my good friend and uh, regular guest here, presidential historian, cultural historian Tevi Troy, author of several books, and uh, was in town for a debate last night and uh, stayed over for the day and decided uh, we'd have fun having him in, not just for the usual hour he comes on for, but uh, in for all three hours with us. Tevi, welcome to the studio. I don't think you've been in studio before, have you? This is my first time, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun having you here. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, David, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. You had an interesting experience I didn't know about uh, (laughs) until uh, about an hour ago when I walked in and you were telling me, and I said, save it for radio. The audience will want to hear. Tevi, we were just talking right before the show started. It's just announced the latest body count. 30 Americans killed uh, in the attacks uh, in Israel, and... Outside of 9-11, this has to be the largest the largest number of Americans, biggest number of Americans killed in a terrorist incident, in a single terrorist incident. It must be. I can't think of 30 Americans being killed from terrorism in any larger case or in any other scenario since 9-11 that this has happened. It's got to be. This has got to be the largest number of Americans well, killed in a single Certainly since 9-11, obviously, you yeah. had the... Um Hezbollah bombing of the Marine barracks. Yeah, uh, military, sure. Yeah. uh, Still dead American souls. Yeah, 241. uh, uh, But, yeah, I think this is the largest since 9-11 of America. And, and, you know, I got to say, Seth, I would expect more outrage. Yeah. Uh, Can you imagine if, let's say, it were not the larger terrorist attack that it was and 30 Americans were killed in Manila or Madrid? I mean, Americans would be up in arms and— I'm, I'm just a little perplexed at why there isn't more outrage over this. Yeah, there is There is appropriate outrage in certain precincts, um, a disproportionate outrage in the wrong direction in other precincts, and not enough outrage, uh, not enough healthy outrage. Anger is a um, is a uh, is an appropriate emotion, and I, you know, it's the third anniversary of 9-11 when uh, Deborah Burlingame, I was just thinking of Deborah Burlingame's statement to Neil Cavuto, her husband, excuse me, her brother, Chick. Chick Burlingame was a pilot on uh, Flight 77. It flew into the Pentagon. And she was asked on the third anniversary uh, by Neil Cavuto what she, um, after obviously the life of her brother-in-law, of her uh, brother, what she missed most, what she thought was missing most from 9-11 remembrances and commemorations. She said what she misses most is the anger. Uh, Somehow anger was suppressed as an appropriate emotion in response to mass slaughter of civilians and innocents, in response to surprise terrorist attacks. Um, I was giving a talk the other day to a, a group of Republican women 
and we got onto the issue of terrorism. And I was reminding, as I spoke with the audience last week, I was reminding the audience, you know, how close this really is to us when you think about one of the candidates, probably one of the, it would be fair to say, one of the major candidates for president of the United States, Robert Kennedy Jr., you know, his dad was killed by the first Arab terrorist attack on the soil. So far as I can tell, Sirhan Sirhan wrote in his diary that Robert Kennedy must die because of his support for Israel. And now we have his son running for president, interestingly enough, without Secret Service protection, uh, though it was asked for. This is also very present with us, so very clear and present as a danger. And um, I don't I don't know if we need a great awakening. I don't know if we need a great relearning. I don't know if we need a greater shock to our emotional system. But there is something about appropriate anger and uh, righteous indignation that is absent here. I don't know. Have we become numb? Have we been taught to be numb? Have we been confused? Have we been lulled into a confusion? It seems to me if things needed moral clarity, you couldn't have more of it than just now. But the places you usually get moral education from, if not instruction, are schools and universities have been one of the very precincts that have uh, been disproportionately uh, showing anger in the wrong direction. So maybe they, uh, through what they have poured out of their vacuum bags onto society, have helped create some of the confusion in society. We're, we're, we're just not seeing this right, Tevi, not emotionally, not philosophically, and not unanimously quite enough. I don't know why it is. Well, I think you started to get at it when you talked about some of the history that we're facing. Remember in the late 1970s, Iran kidnapped American Embassy workers and kept them for 444 days. And then in the 1980s, Hezbollah, backed by Iran, killed uh, 240 Marines. Mm -hmm. And then in the 90s, you had the Al-Qaeda bombings of the Kobar Towers. Mm -hmm. And then in 19 servicemen. Right. And then in 2001, we obviously cannot forget 9-11 and the horrors of that day. And then in the 2010s, we had other Islamic terrorists in terms of the ISIS attacks in France and in Belgium. And now we have this other outrage where, yes, 1,400 Israelis have died, 30 Americans have died, uh, but also Nepalis and Thais and Canadians and Austrians and Brits and Frenchmen and Germans. When is it enough? I mean, this is a recurrent problem that we in the West are facing, and I don't think we're facing up to it. Is it because this comes in part—let me rephrase that question—is it in part because this comes from a religious fanaticism and in the West or Americans generally, they don't like having conversations about religion or religious fanaticism? Is that an element of it Uh, or is there an element of buying into bits of the anti-Western, anti-American narrative or anti— uh, in this case, anti-Israel narrative as well. Is is there a purchase in that direction? Uh, what what explains it? Because I, you're right, I think, that no other normal society would treat the slaughter of its innocents this way. I think you're right in some of those elements you discussed, especially the lack of moral education in our schools and the uh, lack of assertiveness about the greatness of the West yeah. and the kind of uh, feeling weak need about our, our own successes. But the other thing is lack of historical memory. 
9-11 was 20 years ago. Seems like a long time. Both you and I were younger men then. But in the, the view of history, it is the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I think future historians will look at this period and say, this happened in the 70s, this happened in the 80s, this happened in the 90s, this happened in the 2007 and the 2010s, and this happened in the 2020s. This was a constant thing for a 50-year period, and nobody seemed to be taking it seriously. You know, it's right. When you look back at history, you're a historian. It's kind of interesting. If you think about the way probably most young people look at history, if someone says, well, you know, roughly the period 1900, 1920, 1900, 1925, they would think of it as one moment at this point, right? And when you're in it, it seems like a long distance. It seems like a long time, right? We're in it. So it seems maybe that way, but it is a very short time. It is a blink in the eye, a blink of the eye. And and perhaps future generations will look back at us and say, what was what this, the hell were they what doing? What was this generation right. doing right. For when for 70 or 50 years they were taking it, they no. were taking it in no. the chin? They no. were subject to these horrific attacks by Islamic terrorists who hate the West, who hate America, who hate Israel, who hate everything we stand for. And they hate the fact that we have our freedoms, that we have a rule of law, that we believe in liberty, and no. that we believe in an ordered society. And they want to take it down. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. Um, and let me throw in a third. I might three elements now. Let me, th- or whatever the next element is. Let me throw in another one, which is a um, a, a callousness towards the value of human life generally. Uh, I, I I think something about our politics and something about our sociology has has turned our view of of human life into something less than it should be, or at least as respected, esteemed, and valued as less than it should be. It seems to be it's we've become accustomed to human life becoming so disposable, whether we're talking about what we see with regard to crime and violent crime at that, and mayhem when attached to violent crime, or riots, or even with the life issue, um, the unborn life issue, or even with, in fact, the kinds of things we're talking about when it comes to mustering a military response to atrocities. It was interesting to me that the largest protest, I think, in the Western Hemisphere in perhaps our lifetime up until that point was a protest in England on behalf of Saddam Hussein in 2003 because there was such a conscious disregard, a conscious disregard for the atrocities he was committing. We have a conscious disregard of the atrocities China is committing. We have a conscious disregard of the kinds of atrocities Iran and the Islamic fundamentalists are committing. But the last thing we ever think we should be um, uh, we should be hesitant about speaking against is the military response that would solve those things. It's an interesting perversion of the value of human life, isn't it? Let's pick up on this when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Tevi Troy, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Well, that's certainly the way the left used to think. They used to see the side for peace and the side for war and join the side for peace. Increasingly, they're on the side of uh, those who uh, brutalize humanity. I mean, it's quite clear, isn't it, uh, in, in, in this most recent of cases in Israel that, uh, as I was thinking to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln from his second inaugural, one side wanted peace and one side wanted war, and rather than ignore the war when it was declared, they decided to accept it rather than their own death. Israel decided to accept it and is now going to um, be invading uh, Gaza to rid it of the toxin of Hamas. Tevi, it's taken quite a lot longer than a lot of people expected. And before I turn to calls, just a thought on that. Um, 
especially given what has been said about the Israeli military. Uh, or maybe it hasn't taken longer, but it seems like it's taken a long time. And it seems like for the past 72 hours, everyone has been told or everyone has been expecting, well, the next day, well, the next day, well, the next day, the land invasion will take place. Maybe there will be one. Maybe there won't be one tomorrow. Is it longer than usual? Is it longer than expected? If so, why? If not, why not? Well, if you think of some of the great feats of modern warfare, such as the defeat of Saddam Hussein in the first Gulf War or the uh, collapse of uh, Hussein's country, com- uh, government in the second Gulf War, there were significant buildups in both circumstances. So the Western way of war is not to break a hole in a fence and go wilding and raping and, and killing and brutalizing people and, and seeing victories and killing civilians. The Western way of war is to have an organized plan of battle, a focused objective, and to deploy your troops after they have been built up so that you can accomplish that objective. So I, who have relatives and friends who are going to be serving in this war, who are serving in this war, and will potentially be deployed in this very dangerous place, I'm glad they're taking their time to try and figure it out. And also, to the extent Israel said this is going to be a land, sea, and air objective uh, or, or approach, um, you know, there are these massive tunnels, and if perhaps there are ways to collapse some of the tunnels that are filled with terrorists, not civilians, they're not filled with innocents, these are terror tunnels. If they can be collapsed from the air or from shipboard bombardments so that Israeli boys don't have to die, and uh, we've seen President Biden said he might be deploying some U.S. troops in non-combatant roles, but if they're there in non-combatant roles and the terrorists from terror tunnels are firing rockets that could potentially kill Americans, well, I, I, I'd prefer if we have an organized plan before we go in and get our ducks in a row before they go into the ambush-laden death trap that is Gaza. Uh, let me uh, go to the callers as well. 602-508-0960. Mike is um, in Carefree. Mike, you're on with Tevi Troy and myself. Thanks for taking my call, Seth. Sure. <clears throat> but when I hear the rhetoric of the left, they're always comparing all conservatives to the Ku Klux Klan, and I would take that a bit further and say in what way are Hamas, Hezbollah, and the PLO less vile than the Ku Klux Klan, either in rhetoric or actions, and yet they get a pass? Or body count. Or in a body count. When was the last time you heard of the Ku Klux Klan actually, you know, uh, uh, killing someone? Yeah. I mean, not, not there. I'm not defending the Klan. No, no, no. I take the point. I take the point. But... Yes, they they are still an evil among us. They are still an objectively identified evil among us, and yet they are nothing in comparison to Hezbollah and Hamas. That's certainly in terms point. of body counts. And certainly in terms of body counts, certainly in terms of contemporary um, power as well. I was, you know, I was just thinking, I was watching... Um, I was watching Bill Maher's uh, discussion of this over the weekend uh, with a panel, and he was, uh, Mike, he was, he was showing a uh, college student in Manhattan, I believe it was. might have been Harvard, Cambridge, but I the believe it was. A 19-year-old girl. Yeah, it was the LGBTQ activist woman holding up a sign, we stand with, Pal- we stand with the Palestinian resistance. And uh, the guest uh, of Bill Maher's said, yes, you know what their uh, brother organization is, don't you? Bill Maher said no. He said, oh, yeah, well, it's blacks for the KKK. 
uh, yeah, the, the point being, the point, the point very well being that it is the same ethos that runs through both of those types of organizations that you're identifying. You're absolutely right. I don't know how we muster righteous indignation against KKK today or any nationalist movement based on race, and yet we seem to be able to give a pass and actually hold protests and imagery in support of far worse terror groups. And the other thing that's just sad is I have, I was in the medical profession, and I have, you know, hundreds of good friends that are Jewish, and the ones that are on the left, which is the majority, are surprisingly mute Uh about this sort of thing, and it bothers me. I said, "Can, can you not see that you're living 1938 all over again? These people are not benign they hate you they will not be happy until you're dead well you've got one of the country's great experts in studio on this very point heavy you want to respond i think mike you are completely correct thank you for your service in the medical profession but the point is that there are so many groups on the left that are imbued with anti-semitism and there are jewish social justice groups who ignore that anti-Semitism because they want to have this allyship with the social justice movements. And then suddenly, when you have this Hamas horrific savagery take place, they they act surprised that, oh my gosh, our allies in the social justice movement aren't with us. They shouldn't be surprised because by their very nature, they are anti-Semitic. They hate Israel. They hate the West. And they hate what we stand for. You can also have Jewish anti-Semites. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, whether you're Noam Chomsky or Karl Marx or any number of— We've seen some of them arrested in front of the White House today, protesting in favor of Hamas. Right, exactly, exactly. And those people are are a complete disgrace. But the the fact is that there is a unifying strand of anti-Semitism on the left, and I'm not saying every leftist group is, but too many leftist groups are, and I think that's a real problem. Mike? Thank you for your call. No, thank you for yours. I appreciate it very much. Uh, let's see. Do I have time to go? Yeah. Let me ask uh, the next caller, the rest of you on hold, to just hold a few moments because I want to give you as much time as you want to talk with Tevi and, um, and, and the audience here. But we are rolling into a break. As we go into the break, uh, let me just point out we'll do our culture and economy update. Very interesting op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, vis-a-vis the anniversary of uh, the oil embargo of 1973. And we'll do that with John Dombrowski. And then when we come back, Tevi Troy and I'll take more calls of yours. Uh, this issue of where the left has shown itself, though, is really is really the issue of the day. Because if we don't get this one right, we're not going to get very much right. And I don't want people to think this is a fringe of the Democratic Party. I don't want them to think that at all. This is a movement that the Democratic Party has nurtured, has endowed, and has supported, even when it had choices not to. And I can get into that when we come back as well. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Tevi Troy. We'll be right Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Yeah, about seven years after the oil embargo, uh, 50-year anniversary of that, we got that hit show from which uh, that theme song comes. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show with our culture and economy update, John Dombrowski. John is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com, his website. How are you, John? Happy Monday. 
who shot Jr. again? Yeah, it was Kristen, <laughs> uh, Sue Ellen's sister, <laughs> sister played sister. by uh, Bing Crosby's daughter. How daughter? far do you want me to go down this? <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gosh, what a what a show! That was great. Yeah, that was great. And then Dynasty was the other one, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. But oil, um, yes. and the price of oil, and this reminding us all over again with this 50-year segment. But it is interesting, through all this, the stock market actually, I'm seeing green and up arrows all across the board here for the most part. Yeah, it's really a, an interesting time that we're going through right now, right? We see this unrest, of course, in the Middle East. And uh, the markets right now have assessed, at least up to this point, that uh, you know, as long as nothing you know, out of the ordinary at this point doesn't happen, um, that they believe it's not really going to be that much of an effect on the U.S. And we're seeing uh, the economy here semi-strong right now, uh, reports, uh, earning reports coming in right now, uh, all better than expected with some optimism on the horizon for some of these companies. And that's, uh, you know, giving, giving some momentum to stocks right now. I'm wondering, it's such an interesting reason as to why and why this would be so much more uh, distinct than it was 50 years ago. We say we're all so much more connected now because of the internet, telecom, uh, travel, and that sort of thing. And yet, perhaps in an odd way, John, put the culture part of the economy into this discussion, perhaps in an odd way, we kind of feel like what's going on over there is far more distant to us and far yeah. less significant to our daily lives here than it might I have been even 50 years ago. Huh? Let's just see some of the college campuses, what's happening yeah. right now. I mean, it is here. There's no question about it. We have uh, some real challenges here um, as well, and uh, it's a matter of how we're going to deal with them here on our own, own ground. Maybe part of the reason the markets are okay and we're not seeing the same kind of spike that we saw in 1973 is that there seems to be, though, much more of a consensus that we need to move much more towards energy independence, too. Maybe. Maybe that's some of it. We gave up energy independence in the 70s. Or at yeah, least I would. I would hope 70s. that that's the case. What yeah. you're saying, that's true. You know, it, it was really. I read this article. The Wall Street Journal had that you uh, had shot Arthur over to Herman, me. The yeah. barrel barrel of oil cost two dollars and fifty nine cents. And in we January went crazy when it shot through eleven, right? Eleven sixty five a yeah. year later. So you know, up over three hundred percent. And the thought is, is well, could you imagine if that happened today? A yeah. barrel of oil going from you know eighty five ninety dollars a barrel to two hundred and seventy dollars a barrel. Yeah, we couldn't take it. We would never be able to take that. There'd be no way. So um, I, I just think it really does lead more towards, as you just said, as a country for our own national security, we have to be energy independent. And if that means that we have to you know, pump more oil, if we have to be more creative in the ways that we do it, we are probably one of the cleanest uh, in, the, in the world for how we – uh, regulate our our oil, and uh, it's really amazing that uh, we we just can't seem to to get this uh, get this handled. It's kind of interesting that the anti energy independence left has in the name in the name of environmental yeah. cleanliness or in the name of the environment has no problem when America forsakes its energy independence on fossil fuels, but then goes to countries who are far less clean in their energy yeah. production to fulfill our mm -hmm. needs, whether it be uh, Venezuela or whether it be countries uh, in the Middle East. Now, there's talk right now with Venezuela, of course, giving yeah. some kind of uh, relief of sanctions to them for yeah. some type of uh, benefit, whether it's uh, some 
uh, I guess, regarding their um, some changing of the guard over there, right? They're having yeah. some elections, and they wanted to make sure that they have some fair and free elections over there. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know how. It's a difficult world out there to manage. There's no question about it. I hope that our our government is 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 really making the right decisions, and that's what we entrust all of these politicians to do. Yeah, this notion to be clean, we won't do it, but we'll ask dirtier players to ramp up so that we can at least so that, have yeah. the self-satisfaction of looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, well, yeah, we turned it off here. And it is interesting, Seth. I just think that people have to really be uh, aware that there is a lot of uncertainty out there right now and yeah. a lot of concern around the world. Yeah. Uh, but when we look at our financial um, system right now and our, our stock market right now, there is a bit of momentum yeah. right now in the market. Yeah. Is that going to last? I don't know. But um, it's just that you've got to be working with an advisor and making sure that you're making some good decisions, not emotional. People can negotiate those, uh, those, uh, those things with you. You're the expert. Yep. Okay. Thank you, Go to John. our website, yep. grandcanyonplanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities, LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates, LLC, and Creative One Securities, LLC, and not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, John. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Dr. Tevi Troy is my in-studio guest talking about ethics, talking about war, talking about history. Uh, let's go to the calls, Tevi. We have a few more, and uh, Smitty is on the line. Hi, Smitty. Hi there. Hi. Uh, let, let me get right to it, and I think this is right in line with ethics and war and morality uh, I want to talk about something that maybe isn't so popular, and that is the culpability of the Palestinians. They go to sleep at night with rocket launchers in their kitchens. They teach their children to grow up to fight, hate, and kill Jews. And their goal ultimately is to wipe out Western civilization. Um, if it was me, make make a case for why Israel should put its existence at risk for 200 people and why they shouldn't carpet-bomb Gaza into dust. Well, <laughs> thank you, Smitty. Um, that was the sentiment for, I, I think, a large, a large segment of the population on October 8th as they were waking up to this story. And people started thinking about, you know, the issues of justice in war as much as justice in going to war, Justin Bellum versus Just Sad Bellow in the Latin uh, legalese of the case. And they started thinking, and we start thinking about different ethics and moralities of war we learned from World War II. And we think about the moral arguments that were involved in the bombings of London as uh, from the Nazi side, and then in response, the bombings of Berlin, certainly the fire bombings of Tokyo, certainly the bombings of Dresden. And I postulated on this show that I don't know <clears throat> if our culture and country has changed so much, but I think it has, that we can no longer fight the kinds of wars we need to fight to obtain the kinds of victories we need to obtain. Uh, the notion of massive retaliation uh, that was attributed to Henry Kissinger is as much a true as, truism as we won't, nego no, we won't negotiate with terrorists. Um, or we won't negotiate for hostages. It's as much as a truism as the phrase never again. In other words, these three things are all lies. We don't engage in massive retaliation. 
Uh, we don't uh, believe in never again because we preside and over and observe over atrocities against humanity on massive scales over and over and over and over and over again since 1945. And, um, and I don't think we engage quite, quite at all in fighting the kinds of wars against our enemies that they would have no compunction in fighting against us. So it's always been interesting to me when people say, well, I hope Israel doesn't uh, react uh, disproportionately. What would disproportionately mean? Well, what would proportionally mean? They say Israel should only react proportionally. What does that mean? Does that mean we expect of the Israelis to attack innocent civilians and rape them? and murder their babies and decapitate them and stack them like cordwood in front of their parents before they slaughter the parents? For that would be the proportional response. So it seems to me we need a little bit more Winston Churchill and a little less the Harvard of today. But I'll throw it to Tevi. Look, the American objective in World War II was unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. And I am all for trying to get unconditional surrender of Hamas. And I think they should, if they surrender alive, then they should be taken to war crimes court like they were at Nuremberg. I'm not for the indiscriminate bombing of civilians, but I am for attaining war objectives. And if Hamas chooses to surround themselves with civilians so as to prevent a moral army from going after them, then those civilian casualties are on Hamas, not on Israel, not on America, not on the West, not on anyone else but Hamas. And that's the way you have to wage this war. By the way, as long as we're talking about war crimes and as long as war crimes is part of the part of the rhetoric we want to invoke here, that in and of itself, what Hamas is doing is a war crime. Absolutely. It is a war crime uh, understood by the United Nations as much as the Geneva Accords, as much as any definition of a war crime is to use civilians uh, as, um, as, as shields and uh, as propaganda victories uh, in secreting military armaments and military depots. That in and of itself is a defined war crime from time immemorial as much as – you know, not identifying soldiers and as much as attacking, civi <clears throat> attacking civilians, whether in the dead of night or the clear light of morning. So if we want to talk about war crimes, about 50 have already been committed before any of us went to sleep two Saturdays, two Saturdays ago, and none of them by Israel. Uh, let me go to John in Peoria. John, hi. Hi, Seth. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good, uh, Seth. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to read the email I sent in. It's a, it, it's a real. I mean, this, this is one of the saddest stories uh, that's been, I think, that I saw. A 90-year, it was in the Daily Mail. A 90-year-old Holocaust survivor. She was living on a kibbutz. The way they framed the story, her life was bookended by anti-Semitism. The Holocaust and then being killed by Hamas. And in the same story, there was a five-year-old boy that was murdered by Hamas. Both these two people living on that kibbutz. Uh, and you got to read the story to correct me. I think I've got all the facts sort of right there. But, um, boy, that one was a sad one, Sam. 
and there's so many like that. Yeah, Tevi, do you want to weigh in on this? What, what what do you say about this arc of history? You know, it's an interesting thing. It's part and parcel of this whole notion that as we have become uh, and as we have been given more and more access to intelligence, we, I think, at the same time have become or perhaps at the same time in exact, in exact opposite proportion, we have become less moral or less morally serious or less morally concerned about the right things. It's a weird thing. More intelligence, less morality. Look, the, <clears throat> you're completely right. Anti-Semitism has bookended this poor woman's life. Anti-Semitism has been around for thousands of years. And for she was fortunate in that she had that period in her life when the end of, from between the end of the Nazi regime and until her um, unfortunate demise, that the sovereign state of Israel was to protect her. The best response to anti-Semitism is a sovereign state of Israel that protects Jews. As Mika Goodman, who's an uh, Israeli philosopher, has said, the alternative to Israeli sovereignty is Kishniev. Kishniev was that horrible pogrom in, in 1903 that killed hundreds of Jews. And so we need a state like Israel to survive and thrive so that it can protect Jews from this ancient hatred of anti-Semitism. By the way, it's interesting you point out the massacre of 1903. For those that think Israel is causing all this, why were there massacres in 1903? Why were there massacres in 1929 in what is now Israel? Why were there massacres in 1936 in what is now Israel? It couldn't certainly be the land Israel took in 1967, could it? No, it's something far deeper. We'll be right back. Were you running tape on that, Dave? <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by a great local company here based locally operating all across the country. Why? Refi. Uh, they're on Scottsdale Road and the 101. Love for you to stop by if you're inclined. They won't be uh, asking you to sign a thing and they won't give you a sales pitch. They leave, leave that up to me. They just like talking about what it is that they do. And what they do is they host an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss or penalty, no loss of principal or penalty if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. And they are a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. So check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. Bob is in Payson. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the show. Hi, Seth. How are you today, sir? I'm fine. Thank you. I just uh, start telling your fellow there, just heard that Biden had indicated to the Israelis, twisting their wrists a little bit, that he wants the water turned back on, the electric turned back on to the people in the Gaza Strip. Mm. But the Israelis are trying to drive these people for, farther south towards Egypt. Mm -hmm. And I believe the end plan for the Biden administration, Seth, and I do believe this, is they're going to accept one million Palestinian Hamas refugees as asylum seekers into the United States of America. And I think that's the end goal. Well, it can't, it can't happen. I, I mean, we cannot <laughs> allow this to happen. I mean, there used to be the sentiment, fraught as it might have been with problems, that we'd rather fight them over there than fight them over here. Now we're going to have a policy of just bringing them here and just giving them safe and passage you, and, here? 
as your guest said, in World War II, we were strong. We wanted unconditional we yeah. surrender yeah. for our enemy, Seth. Yeah, we Today, were. Today, we yeah. seem to surrender to every enemy. Well, let's talk about the word surrender for a moment, Bob, because if it is expected of Israel to turn um, the water back on, so to speak, uh, they could do it uh, in a trice, as they said they would do it in a trice, if Hamas would simply give back the hostages and surrender those who committed these atrocities. Doesn't seem like a big ask. If they cared about their people, they'd be doing that. If they cared about their people, they'd be surrendering. They'd be turning over the leadership of these terrorist attacks, and they'd be returning hostages, and they would get all the water and energy they would want. It wouldn't take that long, and it seems not to be a lot to ask, except you have a leadership here that cares more about dead Jews than living Palestinians. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.